Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the day... Behold, like the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore... Say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Okay, let's pray. Father, we're going to tackle a difficult topic. Uh, I pray that you help me to clarify... uh, my thoughts. I pray that only the truth may go forth. I pray that uh, that you would. I surrender my tongue to you. I pray that you would speak your truth to your people, so that we can all learn uh, how to live in a way that pleases you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. As you know, uh, I've been praying about something, and you've all been joining me in that prayer. I'll keep it vague, but I think everyone knows. Uh, what I'm talking about. And the answer came this week, and so this is my processing before the Lord and Him giving me some clarity on what happened. And it's uh, the topic I want to tackle is the will of God. And it is very difficult to understand. We know, like, uh, I'm great, uh, not I'm great, <laughs> Brother Abraham uh, preached last Sunday. If you didn't have a chance to listen, please do listen to it. Uh, we know the final destination is heaven, uh, so that is the, the ultimate will of God. But then we still have to live life on earth. We still have to figure out what our profession is, how we're going to make a living. We still have to provide and, and go through life behind enemy lines, uh, which, is a, which is difficult at times. And so the will of God, which is difficult to understand, uh, some believe it's static. Some believe it's predetermined. Some believe that... that only what God's will is in every situation actually happens. Um, others think it's much more fluid. Uh, um, like a Calvinist would say, uh, it is all predetermined. It's almost like we're robots and we just follow a script that we don't even know we have. Uh, and then the Armenians say, no, there's a lot of free will. There's a lot of choices and exercising of our free will. There's mistakes that we make. And of course, God works all things for good. And so these are the two theological camps. And uh, the first thing I want to say is Isaiah 55 says that God's ways and His thoughts are much higher than ours. And so we should not be so confident that we understand uh, how things play out. Um, I think uh, another question is, why is this such an important topic? 
is because the will of God for you is going to be different for the will of God to the, uh, for the next person and for me. Uh, when, when Jesus was telling Peter in John 21, this is my will for you, uh, Peter's reaction is, well, what about John? And then uh, G- uh, Jesus turns to Peter and says, you, Peter, you must follow me. And that is a very unique will, a very unique journey. It's a cross-bearing journey. It's self-denial. So there are elements that we all share. But in terms of actually how the details play out, it is very unique and tailor-made for you. The will of God, I think there's at least two types of the will of God. There is the perfect will of God. And if we are um, perfectly in line with God, if all the, the rulers of this world, of every nation, was a Christian, and they discern God's voice well, everything unfolded uh, in a beautiful way, I think this world, we could actually live out the perfect will of God, even on a global scale. But of course, that is not the case. <laughs> we don't have a Christian uh, um, on every corner. We don't have a Christian in every uh, political post. We don't have a Christian uh, in, in, in key positions in society. And so we are not doing the will of God perfectly as, as, as a whole. Uh, there is the perfect will of God and there is the okay will of God. I think this is the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal. Uh, you can you can be okay with the silver. It's it's good. It's not bad. Uh, you 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 you're getting it right. You're you're beating out most of the competitors. Most of the days you're you're doing well. Uh, but it's a it's a silver medal versus the gold, which I think is reserved for every person. If you go for the gold, if you really want to pursue the perfect will of God, then other options that to others it seems great. To you, it's like. Did God tell me to do this? I'm not sure He told me to do this. And so I'm waiting for the gold. I think there's a perfect and an okay. And and so uh, it depends on your faith. Will you go for the gold? Do you think God will actually instruct instruct you in the details of your life so that you can go for the gold? Are you content with silver? Are you content with bronze? Uh, I think it it matters, uh, your faith. There's also... um, the will of God for an individual, which is much easier to discern. Like if me and my household says, we're moving to Philadelphia. Uh, God is telling me to, to uh, minister to my parents in their older age. And so God can tell me that and it's, it's just me to discern, hopefully Jackie to confirm, but there, there is no other parties involved, no other factors to consider. It's just our household. And it's much easier and much more straightforward. When it's a, when it's a decision involving multiple parties, uh, it's a lot more difficult. Because one side can discern it correctly, the perfect will of God. One side can maybe discern the okay will of God, and the two are not matching. And so when, involved, when a decision involves multiple parties, uh, if everyone is discerning well the perfect will of God, then you will do the perfect will of God in that decision. If one party is discerning it perfectly, as God intended, another person is just okay, it's a silver medal, then they're going to not quite match. Same with uh, courtship. We have a lot of couples here and it takes two to tango. So when you are discerning, is this person the person I'm supposed to marry? Uh, the other person had to also discern, is the other person the person I'm supposed to marry? For that will to happen, uh, 
uh, it had to be uh, uh, on both sides had to discern it properly. Um, some Christians don't believe that there is the one in marriage, uh, and they are content with silver medals. For me, I want everyone um, that I can counsel to go for the gold. Uh, the marriage is so important that you don't want to settle for a silver or a bronze or, or a participation trophy because there is the okay will of God. God will work it for your good, even if it's not the best. But, but if you really want to pursue God's best for you, your destiny for your life in this life, then you want to go for the perfect will of God. Um, there are examples in the Bible of, of what I've just described. There is the Example of Moses. And so Moses can discern the will of God for himself. But he is called to an assignment that involves an entire nation. So the nation also has to discern the will of God for the two to tango. Uh, In Acts chapter 7, Moses at age 40, he sees uh, one of his countrymen uh, suffering uh, at the hands of an Egyptian. And he he is a Hebraic Egyptian. Uh, a Hebrew by birth, but growing up in, in Pharaoh's court. And so he is a, he's caught in between two cultures. Uh, and for, for the majority of his first 40 years, he did not care for the Hebrews. Uh, but for what, whatever reason, on this particular day, it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, that it came into his heart to visit his brethren. He didn't care before about his brethren. He didn't care about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But on this day, he had a burden for his people. He went to go visit them. And then he sees abuse at the hands of an Egyptian. He strikes them. And then the very next day, he sees two Hebrew uh, fellow countrymen uh, who are uh, uh, fighting. And so he comes in. He tries to to, to reconcile them. He tries to bring peace uh, to, to the situation. And, and he's utterly rejected. And their, their words are, uh, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Let me just double check. Yes, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Well, God did. God made Moses a ruler and a judge over the nation of Israel. But and and, and I, I used to think maybe Moses wasn't ready, but at least when Stephen is being stoned to death and he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is preaching uh, what, what the Holy Spirit told him about this particular situation. There's nothing about Moses being unprepared. It is just he's ready to go, he sees it, there's a burden that comes in, he's ready to move on God's behalf as a ruler and a judge, and the people says say who made you a ruler and a judge? And so the people did not perceive it. The people did not receive him as a ruler and judge. And so Moses goes away for 40 years. Is it only for Moses? I think primarily it's because the people were not ready. And, and that's a controversial thing. Like, Could it be that, that, that the, the nation of Israel didn't have to suffer for 40 more years? Could it be that God actually intended for them to be delivered at that point in time. Uh, If you believe as a Calvinist, you would say, no, it's set in stone. Uh, It's got to happen this way. But if you read these little hints uh, that if the people were ready, if the people were crying out 40 years earlier, 
Because later God hears the cries 40 years because it got so desperate. But had they been more desperate in this moment, they recognized Moses' anointing, his gifting, that he really was appointed to be a ruler and judge. Could it be that they could have saved themselves 40 years of suffering? I think, I think they could have been spared. Um, there's a, another factor con- to consider. Not only uh, when you have a decision involving multiple parties, you can discern correctly. The other party cannot, maybe did not discern correctly. Also, there's a, uh, there's a factor of, did you know God can actually change His mind? You know, we think that God is static, like He's a, like a force. And so He says it, and then it's, it's going to happen exactly the way He says it. No, He's, he's similar to uh, human personality, personality. He's different in the sense that He's unchanging. His character is perfect. But in terms of His ways, His thoughts, He changes. Like a, like a human. like we, we have a desire to do something yesterday. Today I have a completely different desire. God shares that personality that He can actually change His mind. And we see this in Jonah's life. Jonah was given a prophecy. Uh, and we know the whole story. That it took a while for God to get Jonah to even preach the prophecy. But in Jonah 3, the prophecy is given... And, and as a prophet, you can only say what the Lord permits you. And so when we hear what c- comes out of Jonah's mouth, we have to believe this is a prophetic word from the, from the mouth of God. And he says to Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3, uh, verse... Uh, verse 4, it says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's what he's crying. He says, he's saying, you have 40 days. You're running out of time. You will be overthrown. That's in Jonah chapter 3. That's the prophetic word that came out through Jonah's mouth. And then in chapter 4, um, an amazing thing happens. 40 days um, passes, and because the king, during that window of time, the king says, we should all repent. And from the top down, from the, from, from the most powerful to the, to the weakest person, every man, woman, and child in the, in the kingdom of Nineveh, they all turned. And the 40 days passed, and they were not overthrown. It says, that there's an interesting word. Actually, it's not Jonah 4, it's Jonah 3. It's uh, Jonah 3, verse 10. Then God saw their works and that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that He said he had said He would bring upon them and He did not do it. Did you catch that God changed His mind? He said He was going to destroy them in 40 days. He saw their repentance. He changed His mind. And when it says He, he relented, it says uh, it's, it's, a, it's a strange word. Uh, it's to feel sorry for himself. And, and uh, the more primitive root is he, he sighed. And I think there's two types of sighs from the Lord. There's a sigh of relief. Like, does God really enjoy punishing? Does He enjoy judging? Is that His character? Or, when, 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 the, when the judgment, the declaration, the prophecy of judgment goes out, and the people receive it, and they turn, and, and, and doesn't God have a sigh of relief that I was going to judge you, but you turned, and I am so glad that I can, I can show mercy. There's a different kind of uh, sigh that we're going to see in Jeremiah in a moment. 
But just hold that thought. God also changed his mind in Hezekiah's case. Uh, Isaiah spoke the word to Hezekiah, get your house in order, you're going to die. And Hezekiah was enjoying a, a season of peace and prosperity. He just begged the Lord. He wept bitterly. He says, can you j- just extend my life? And God showed mercy. He gave him 15 years. And, and if Isaiah had YouTube back then, and he gave a prophetic word, Hezekiah is going to die. We would all say, Isaiah, you're a false prophet. Because you said it, and I'm looking at Hezekiah. Years later, he's still alive. Even prophets, we can, de- we can declare something that's true, and when it doesn't come to pass, could it be that God actually pre- said something true in the past, and then, for whatever reason, He changed His mind. And He did not bring that word that He originally declared through the prophet. Let's see how God's will unfolded in Jeremiah's life. Uh, you remember the calling of Jeremiah? Uh, in Jeremiah chapter one, that it's it's a uh, that there's a he's given a, a sanctified mouth and he's going to preach and he's going to uh, there's multiple words of tearing down, of plucking down, of judgment, and then there's a couple words of building up and planting, and that's uh, God's uh, ministry and call upon Jeremiah's life. And then we realize uh, in Jeremiah chapter eighteen that God is the one who's plucking. God is the one who's tearing down. God is the one who's planting. God is the one who's building. And so God is using Jeremiah, but God is actually the one doing the work. And so that's why he gets all the glory. And Jeremiah chapter 18 that we read is about the potter's house that Jeremiah visits. And he was witnessing this thing of the potter with a lump of clay in his hand. And there are, uh, you know, my mom is a uh, ceramic... um, Professional, whatever I don't know what artist, uh, semi-professional, uh, but she she's quite good at ceramics and uh, it and I did a little bit of ceramics when I was in eighth grade, so I know a little bit, not much, not as much as my mom. But she, uh, if 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 you go to uh, if you work with ceramics or if you ever done that, uh, there are multiple stages. The first stage is you take out the lump, and if the lump is fresh then right away you can start working with it. If the, if the lump has been sitting out there for a while, and maybe the saran wrap has been taken out, it's, it's, it's brittle and hardened, then you gotta work, you got to work at it. You know, if you bake bread, you got to work the dough. you got to work this clay thing and put moisture in it, moisture in it and pressure. If there are lumps, the, the potter has to put pressure. And so the, the goal of this first stage is just, just get it pliable, just get it usable. And, and the next phase is once it's pliable, once it's usable, it's got the right moisture uh, to, to clay ratio, then you start forming it. And then after it's formed, it doesn't stop there. Then you, then you fire it up in the oven and then it gets hardened and then out comes a masterpiece. And I think this is God's metaphor uh, for the Christian. Uh, who are trying to understand and discern the will of God. That uh, the first thing that he does is he sees the lumps in our lives. He sees the brittle hardness. And so what does the potter do? He starts working at it. He starts watering it. He starts applying pressure. And the pressure can come in the form of difficulties, um, trials, um, 
even judgment, even discipline. The pressure is different depending on how lumpy it is. If it's not that lumpy, it's just a little bit of a nudge and, and just massaging it and then it's fine with a little bit of water. If it's very lumpy, then it's got to exert a lot of effort to get the, the, uh, the clay in a, in a, a, a usable state. Uh, and a lot of it depends on us. Like, are we going to have an easy life and a spiritually blessed life? I think a lot of it depends on us. Uh, if we are surrendered to the potter, if, if we don't have a lot of lumps, then it's gonna be, He's going to have an easy time forming us into whatever kind of vessel He has for us. And all of us um, are called in the same general sense to be like Jesus, but in, in terms of being used of God, uh, there's a Christian pastor, and you could be a, a silver, silver, silver level Christian pastor. You can be a gold level Christian pastor. There are different levels. You can be a Christian uh, professor, silver, or you can be gold. Uh, you can be a Christian uh, businessman, silver or gold. And so there's different levels. And how easy it is for God to get you ready to be used depends a lot on the condition of the clay. Are there a lot of lumps? Are we surrendered? Are we, are we stubborn? Are we sinful? Uh, do we have a picture that we simply don't want to let go? All of this makes it much more difficult for the Father, who is our potter, to, to mold us into the vessel that He wants to shape us into. Our main text, uh, it says in verse 7, the inst- uh, Jeremiah 18, verse 7. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. So this is judgment. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster. This, this relent is the same relenting as Jonah chapter 3. And so this is a sigh of, of relief. There was a judgment God intended to pluck up this evil nation, but they turned, they repented. And so God sighs a sigh of relief, and instead of judgment comes mercy. On the flip side, in verse 9 it says, And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight and so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. This is the same relent, but in an exact opposite scenario. God is intending to bless you. God wants to bless us, but how much we're blessed depends on us, in a sense. If God wants to bless you, uh, and, and you're and you're striving for the gold, and, and you stay with him, and you're pliable. You're and there's not a lot of lumps, and you're well watered. He can form you, and the blessing comes in full measure. If God's intention is to bless you, but along the way you forfeit that blessing by becoming by turning away from him, by not holding on to Jesus, by being uh, stubborn. Uh, by, by, by not discerning His voice correctly. These are all reasons why the blessing that was destined for you turns away. And now the blessing is forfeited. And that is a different kind of a sigh. That's a sigh of um, sadness. Like God wants to bless all of His children. 
Why are some children more blessed than others? Could it be that there's something about the human free will, there's something about our choices that actually makes a difference in this life? Because it's not just autopilot that we're all blessed, some people are just cursed and you're destined to be cursed, you're destined to be blessed. No, the, the, the amount of blessing and the amount of cursing and judgment, the amount of ease and, and um, fruit versus difficulty and trial depends a lot on the condition of the clay. Is it lumpy? Is it well watered? When God puts pressure on the lump and, and the lump just kind of dissolves away, and, and we learn from the pressure, we learn from the discipline, then, then, then God is so relieved. He, can, he sighs a sigh of relief, saying, oh, I don't have to apply any more pressure. But if the lump is so rock solid, and so, so ingrained, so, so, so large, that He's got to apply pressure, it's not enough. He's got to apply a little bit more pressure and, and, and more pressure. And, and, and to me, that's how life plays out. If, we, if we're surrendered and if we repent, the restoration just comes quickly. If we are not surrendered, if we are not repenting of the lumps, then this, this period of restoration will come slowly or it may never come. A lot of it depends on free will and our choices. As we read on in Jeremiah uh, chapter 18, verse 12, it says, And they said, That is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans, and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. Then they said, Come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. And so there are many prophets in, 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 in Jeremiah's day. Many of them were preaching falsely. Jeremiah was preaching the word of the Lord. And the people decided that Jeremiah was false. The, the false prophets were true. They got it completely mixed up. And so when God was applying the pressure, they had a choice. And they decided, we are not going to listen to Jeremiah. So was it God's will that they stubbornly rejected the words from Jeremiah and, and eventually got judged? for 70 years in Babylon. Was that God's will? Or did, did their stubbornness play a factor? I think it was the stubbornness of, of the Israelites and their lack of discernment. And so what God does is He has plan B. It's not His perfect will. His perfect will is Jeremiah preaches, everybody repents. Just like when Jonah preached and Nineveh repented. That is His perfect will. And, and, and even Jonah being restored as a, a proper prophet. That's God's perfect will. That's the gold standard. If, if that doesn't happen, Jeremiah is preaching the word of God. It is not received. Instead, he is rejected. Instead, he's thrown in a prison. Instead, he is, he is almost going to starve to death in, in the bottom of a miry pit. Uh, un, 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 unless God moves the heart of an Egyptian to tell the king, you've got to pull him out of that pit, otherwise he's going to starve to death. This is plan B. What we see in the rest of Jeremiah, in the rest of the history of Israel, the fact that they had to be 
suffer at the hands of the Babylonian for 70 years, an entire generation and the next generation passing away under oppression and difficulty. It did not have to go this way. It went this way because the clay was hardened, lumpy, was not surrendered to the potter. And so the same with us. Our life can go a certain way, and not, maybe not in terms of it being smooth, because Jeremiah's life wasn't smooth, but in terms of internally feeling confident that I know the will of God, internally feeling like you represent God well because there's fruit on the inside. Uh, so it's nothing about how your life will actually turn out, but how you feel in terms of your confidence that God is telling you to do this and you're doing it, and also the fruit that you're bearing as you go through difficulties and challenges in life. That is the gold standard. That is a perfect will of God. If you choose plan B... God will still work with you for your good. He will, he will move mountains to try to get you to turn around, uh, to, to go for plan A, to go for His perfect will. But He's going to work even harder. He's going to have to uh, wait more. And so it's an issue of timing. It's an issue of how much pressure does He have to apply. A lot of it does uh, hinge on our response to God even in this moment. And then it says in Romans chapter 9, verse 19, You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? We don't have, um, I mean, if you want the gold standard, if you want the perfect will of God, you don't have a say on what kind of vessel of honor He's fashioning you into. If you're a Christian, you're not a vessel of dishonor anymore, as long as you're repenting. You're on the other side. He's fashioning you into a vessel of honor. And that could be as a pastor, a professor, a, 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 a mom at home. There's different paths, but there's a, there's a gold standard, a vessel that He's fashioning you into. And it's, it's, it's not our right to complain to the potter and say, I don't want to do this. So I hope all of you can discern at some point in your life, the potter has fashioned me in this way. This is my destiny in this life. Of course, to be like Jesus, of course, to go to my heavenly home, but in the specific details, in terms of profession, in terms of how you spend the bulk of your days, uh, what kind of a vessel of honor is it going to use? It, and, and, and some will settle for bronze. Some will settle for silver. I want to go for gold. I pray all of us will go for gold. And I want to end with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. As long as we know our destiny, we are a vessel destined for honor. It could, you could settle for silver, you could go for gold. Uh, you could be content being the wooden chopsticks, so you can say, I want to be 
the silver utensil <laughs> that I only bring out on special occasions. Or if you're a king, you have a golden chalice that you bring before your visitor from another nation. We are destined to be golden vessels of honor. And the only way to get there is you need to surrender to the potter. You need to repent of all of the lumps. Allow Him, as you surrender repent, to restore you to whatever vessel that the potter has in mind. And it's unique to each of you. I am shaped uniquely. You are shaped uniquely. And you have to discover what that is for you. And the key part of this is as long as you cleanse yourself, as long as you repent, as long as you purge yourself, as long as you're not lumpy, as long as the Holy Spirit is there and watering it, then this clay is surrendered to the Master. He will shape you into whatever vessel of honor He has in mind. Okay, let's pray. Father, we, we repent of all of our stubbornness, of all of our lumps in our clay, our hardenedness. Forgive us for, not, for making so many decisions and not consulting you, acting as if the lump of clay has a will of its own. Lord, we, we, we understand the metaphor. We surrender, we choose to surrender this day. Not my will, your will be done. We surrender, we repent. And Father, we pray that you restore us to whatever picture you have in mind. We're all unique. You're fashioning, fashioning us and molding us into a vessel for honor that is usable in your hands. Pray that you would soften hearts today. I pray that you would uh, take out the lumps in our lives today as we repent. I pray that you would minister to us as we partake in the Lord's Supper. We pray that we can hold on to Jesus and experience an acceleration of the restoration that is promised when the vessel, when the clay becomes the vessel for honor, usable in the Master's hands. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And after you prayed, uh, please feel free to come forward. The Lord's Supper is here waiting for you.